so that was a key part of making Bob intelligent, right? Was that it had this seeking capability and it really it mapped to convenience. Like it was really the difference between success and failure. What I'm talking about is a digital twin of your company. And this means the pieces and the parts where an office is one node, but people are nodes and projects are nodes and tasks are nodes and events that happen along the way are nodes. And they all have relationships. It's also mining unstructured data. Right. So it's going to give you a, a exactly. much more complete picture of, yeah. of your customer base. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of this like time to live idea. Like it's going to go collect data, but this data is going to have like a time to live. So you imagine that a, even on a customer basis, you have a customer address or an email address and it has a time to live. And, and what happens on the end of that time to live is the IDW is like, oh, it's time to confirm this data, right? So you call up and, and you're calling because of, you know, your internet's out or whatever, but it says, hey, just to confirm, is this still your address? Hey there, and welcome back to Invisible Machines. You know, you can't really swing a conference lanyard in this space without smacking a digital twin, or at least the, the concept of digital twin. So we talked about it a bit in episode four with Greg Vert. We, we dig into digital twins a bit, and Rob and I realized that we really wanted to spend a little more time unpacking the digital twin concept and sort of the two versions of the digital twin that we uh, talk about the most. In Age of Invisible Machines, we talk about intelligent digital workers, which is essentially uh, a digital twin of an individual or of a skill set of a role. Those digital twins, those intelligent digital workers, they need a place to live. And that's where the concept of the organizational digital twin comes in. So today we're going to spend a little time talking about both and how, as we describe with intelligent digital workers, the goal isn't really to replicate what humans are doing. It's to find better ways of doing things. Uh, there's a similar paradigm at play when you're talking about digital twins of organizations. Uh, it's not just an analogous map to an existing organization. It's something much deeper than that. It can include events and software and people and tools and all sorts of things, all these nodes that can be connected in all these different ways. Data, of course, another big piece of it. So let's go ahead and jump into that conversation now because Rob and I had a pretty good time uh, digging into digital twins. All right, Rob, uh, one That's thing. right. Yep, you're Rob, I'm Josh. Uh -huh. And today I wanna talk a bit about digital twins. The, the digital twin concept is something We've talked about a bit on this podcast. I know it came up in our conversation with Greg Vert on episode four. That's right. Um, but I think we should dig a little bit into that because there, there's sort of like two digital twins, right? There's the digital twin of the the people in your workforce, but then where do those digital twins go to work themselves? <laughs> right. <laughs> they need, a, they need a, a digital twin of your company to... Of course, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I I think when we talk about digital twins for your company, a lot of people, they probably think we're thinking of a 3D model or some sort of artificial workplace that looks like an office, but Something out of not. Sims? Yeah. yeah we're Second really, life? Right. Yeah, we're <laughs> really more talking about digital version of the company that is, it's people, it's... In a way, I, I almost like to think of it as IoT and E, <laughs> or IoT and P. Um, it's Internet of Things and People, um, or Internet of Things and Employees, Customers, etc. 
Um, and so in, you sort of imagine that there are events that happen uh, at in a company. There are assets that the company has, like laptops and office space and furniture and people and customers and companies that are customers. And um, the list goes on and on and on. Tickets, tasks, projects. Um, so, you know, I think it was an HP CEO that said if if HP knew what HP knows, we would be a lot more successful than we are. And at that time, they were quite successful. Um, I think they still are. Uh, so the idea being there that there's like a lot of information locked away in these organizations that, right. that can't quite be reached or, or synthesized yeah. or put to use? I think it comes down to that idea that like 90% of the data that exists in a company is not in a structured database, uh -huh. but exists in like unstructured conversations and in the heads of the people that work there as institutional knowledge um you know that tribal knowledge sort of idea and i think that's like very true when it comes to relationships between things you know who do i talk to about getting blah or who's on this project or whose laptop belongs to who um these things i think uh tend to relegate themselves to human brains you know, there's start on day one. And if you're lucky enough to have somebody willing to answer your questions that sits next to you, you're going to ask a lot of those kinds of questions. Hey, who do I ask for? Blah. Where do I go for? Blah. Um, and a lot of this stuff is about relationships between these things, not the things themselves. So um, you, this idea of, of, of employees having a digital twin to cobot with, to do work with, Kind of referring to our last, one of our last episodes with the IMIT guys, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, it, it's. It, I don't think there's a question that that's right around the corner. Like, you know, go, happening right now. I know it's happening with some of our customers already. Um, and, and one of the nice things about a digital twin is it's really a digital army of twins, because yeah. you can spawn as many of these to do as many concurrent tasks as you can. So it's almost like having an unlimited army. Um, standing in front of you, I must think of one of those like Star Wars episodes where all those stormtroopers are just like in a sea. <laughs> all those clones, yeah, yeah, and then, then <laughs> and then and then you're yeah those clones, and then you're standing up there like directing them what to do. And I guess there's a world in which we start to feel irresponsible for them just standing around. You're like, give them some work to do. <laughs> Get them busy, guys. They're just standing around right now. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's a whole new like world of delegation, you know, like now as a human, we're just, you know, trying to delegate these, this unlimited, you know, sea of twins of, of clones to get out there and, and do work for us. Um, and, uh, but again, like for them to be useful, they have to be in a, a sort of an environment that allows them to be useful. So for them to know who to talk to about x y and z they need a sense of who 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 works where what employees are there in the company what are their skill sets what are their what is their knowledge how long have they been there where do they what equipment do they use you know when are their vacations what are their responsibilities who do they work with um and all these things can be captured 
in like a graph db or a graph like um yeah uh data storage system yeah i mean that, you mentioned the uh the internet of things and you know i right. think that concept's at least 10 years old but while the the sensors and everything existed to gather all that data back then none of that data could really communicate like that data was siloed in essence yeah yeah and now we have people in there and we can ask them questions and they can respond in uh -huh. natural language and we can so so one of the challenges you know i i like to use the the home robot uh the vacuuming robot you know that the irobot or whatever those those vacuuming Roomba? things are yeah yeah Roomba. um i i tried one it just named bob so you got to name it right i felt comfortable <laughs> anthropomorphizing my vacuum. I was, I felt fairly yeah. safe there. Um, you don't want a stranger vacuuming your house. No, no, no. Yeah, it was, it had a big sticker on it, Bob. Oh, wow, how so, nice. Yeah, actually, what was Bob's job? The first thing that Bob had to do was go map out the room. Uh, if he didn't know where the objects were in the room, then it wasn't very useful. and. I think it's very clear from an adoption standpoint that if if you had to go and draw to scale all the objects in, in your home, that yeah, no one would have bought this robot. That, that's just too much work. And then if you've got to update that map so that Bob can do its job, um, nobody was going to update. So even if they went through the trouble of measuring out their rooms and mapping out the furniture to scale, so that Bob knew where to vacuum, keeping it up wasn't going to happen. Um, so it, it, you know, job number one is to go out and explore. In fact, I was talking to uh, one of the guys who worked on 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 that project, right? And it it was job number one for for the robot to go out, map the room, um, and then. Uh, keep it up to date. Always, always explore. So I would run into a new object, go, oh, wait a second, add that to the map. So there's like this CRUD component to it, right? Um, uh -huh. Create, read, update, delete, you know, a common pattern we all know in, in, in sort of data management. Um, but then there's like this, you know, fifth pattern, which is seek. So we can call it CRUDs with an S. And what's super interesting about the S, I, I think uh, it's a really important part because that's the part where Bob went out and seeked out the data. You didn't have to give Bob the data. So CRUD essentially assumes like somehow you're going to feed the system data or feed it updates or 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 delete it but the system itself isn't going to take responsibility for exploring out there in the world, seeking out the data, keeping it up to date itself. So um, so, so that was a key part of making Bob intelligent, right? Was that it had this seeking capability and it really it mapped to convenience. Like it was really the difference between success and failure of the system. So, um, and then when we think about what that robot does with that data, 
you know, it's for one purpose to vacuum. So it goes through its pattern of vacuuming, you know, in a sequential way, almost like, you know, raking. Um, and it kind of goes through and does its job of, of vacuuming so that it, it uses this, is it, it uses it for that thing. Now, what's interesting to me is that data is valuable. Like you have this map now, right? And it's, it's a scale and it has the objects and, um, and so you, you theoretically could use that map for other things. Like if you wanted to get your carpets clean, you could theoretically just let the carpet cleaner have access to this map and it could just allow them to price it, right? Give you a bid on if you want to get new carpets or hardwood floors, or you wanted to buy furniture, will it fit? Like having that digital twin of your, of your home could be used more broadly than just how typically it's used in the robot, which is just for vacuuming. Mm -hmm. um, and so that gets you thinking that, yeah, a digital twin of an office is interesting, but that's not a digital twin of a company. That's a digital twin of an office space, right? And and so it, mm -hmm. although we can see value in that, uh, what I'm what I'm talking about is a digital twin of your company. And this means the pieces and the parts where an office is one node, but people are nodes and projects are nodes and tasks are nodes and events that happen along the way are nodes and they all have relationships. And now when you have these, this, this concept of a digital worker, which essentially digital twin, we can call it, um, prefer digital worker. Uh, once we have that, now it has mechanisms to, to seek, right? So now we have this idea of keeping a digital twin up to date. So I think that digital twins for companies as a concept um, hasn't taken off mainly because of that seek component not being figured out. Uh, trying to keep a digital twin of your company up to date with every change that's happening, given that all of our systems tend to be disparate and, you know, your uh, the computer might sit in service now or, you know, some inventory system and, payroll and HR has a list of employees. So you got all this data that's structured data and then unstructured data is just is ephemeral, right? Two people uh -huh. have a conversation, it's not transcribed, it's gone. Two people have a, a, a conversation in a channel in Slack or Teams, it's gone, it doesn't get used. Um, but with uh, these large language models, we now have the ability to kind of mine those conversations and it, it's essentially the seat component that's that now closes the gap on having a digital twin of your company um, where now when somebody's having a conversation or a new employee shows up on Slack, it's like, oh, hey, looks like you're new. Boom, gets, yes, I am, confirms, gets added to the twin, update, right? So, so now as the systems um, are exposing themselves either through unstructured data in conversation or you start plugging in these systems because you're doing more and more work through your IDW so as it connects to things like Salesforce well the side effect is now this digital worker has access to like a, a bunch of data that he can now seek out and add to this digital twin graph of your company that you can explore and one of the things I really love about graph as a mechanism for storing these digital twins is a, it's easy. The query language, 
language is very straightforward. It's designed for relationships, um, which makes it really easy to use natural language to query it. But the other thing is um, that it uh, it's it's well suited for um, you know mapping uh, recommendations and and ML. So the data format is 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 for uh, GraphDBs is very well structured for ML. So you can start using all of this data you have now. You know, this person did X or this customer did Y, then this happened next to feed predictive models and run simulations on what if we did this instead, right? So once you gather enough of this institutional data and the events and activities and projects and the outcomes of these things, now you have that data perfectly suited for machine learning to start looking for patterns and to be able to run simulations of what if we did this, what would happen? Um, granted, that's going to be a fair amount of data, but for some large organizations, that's not going to take very long. And then you also map into it like this history. So you have this snapshot of the relationship between um, things in time, which is super fascinating because when you when you look at relationships of data, if you look at a person, you may see that they change their address. Um, but when you look at a table that's filled with like employee data or customer data, um, it's very difficult to map any patterns between how one record is connected to another record, right? How is this person connected to this other person? And let alone like changes in that relationship, right? So, so you know very little about the relationship between those, those you know lines in a table, um, and you may have some sort of foreign key kind of schema that helps you do very basic, simple things. But, you know, that comes down to the whole idea that relational databases aren't very good at relationships, sort of took the term away from graph DBs. Um, but the, the concept of now like mapping these relationships over time is really interesting. So you can see like which employees work together today and how that's evolving over time which then starts to get into this predictive concept of, and who will they work with next, um, which gets very, very interesting to running simulations on, you know, trying different things out. Like what if we launched this product, what would happen? Who would likely work on it? How long would it likely take if they worked on it? You know? So I think um, the, the moral of the story is that uh, a digital twin creates a framework for IDWs to start really, really being useful in terms of the kinds of work that they can do with very little training. Um, so when we look at this like low shot training, this ability to just say, hey, can you go book a meeting for 20 people and coordinate their schedules? Um, the act of an IDW to do that has all of these integrations and components that are going to be required. Um, but if it has access to that digital twin and that data, then boom, it can just, it can get that task theoretically done with like two requests, right? You just, Hey, can you organize this? Sure. Verify. And then off it goes and does it. So, uh, 
we start to see that automation becomes effortless. And this kind of just opens up that next phase of where do humans fit into this? You know, where, you know, we tend to look at things like, hey, you know, catch up, like where do we fit in to this world of IDWs and, and where will they let, let us in? Um, but then there's this other world of like not keeping up with them, but actually getting ahead of them and mm-hmm. saying, you know, what if I want, what if I want to be that overachiever in that world? You know, then what does that look like? And I think one of the, the avenues is to be like an extremely good delegator, right? To just be really, really good at delegating to these things. And mm-hmm. technically speaking, that kind of ends up translating into just low shot training, like the ability to have it run patterns and tasks that are built with best practices in mind and your patterns in mind that allow you to say three sentences that, you know, might be as simple as like plan an offsite for my customers and bam, that just initiates like a hundred tickets being created and all of this activity being done in, in the way that you wanted it done because that pattern exists in the system and it also has that digital twin of the company to go around and make adjustments to, oh, well, this customer is no longer here, but this one's new and all of that stuff. So the digital twin wouldn't replace the data storage that we have today, but it acts as an overlay and then brings in conversation where now we get into the seek part where when someone says in a conversation like, hey, this customer's left, boom, that can go get verified, right? Um, So... I always think of it as you add a new node type, um, like customer, and if the system itself has access to all the employees and the employee records, it could go around and populate all the customers in that uh, system on its own. So, okay. so the only thing you had to do was ask it to start collecting that information, which theoretically you didn't even have to do that, but let's just say that that makes sense from a control standpoint you you ask it to go collect that information and then it just co- go collects it there's no you going around finding it collecting it all together uploading it to the system it's just it's just doing that and well, keeping it's like it getting it from like existing spreadsheets but it's also mining unstructured data right. so it's going to give you a, a exactly. much more complete picture of yeah of your customer base. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of this like time to live idea. Like it's going to go collect data, but this data is going to have like a time to live. So you imagine that even on a customer basis, you have a customer address or email address and it has a time to live. And and what happens on the end of that time to live is the IDW is like, oh, it's time to confirm this data, right? So Uh you call up and, and you're calling because of, you know, your internet's out or whatever, but it says, hey, just to confirm, is this still your address? And yeah, it is. And it just, it goes and updates and oh, no, it's not. Here's my new address. And it goes and updates the system. And, and nobody had to, 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 you know, upload or, or do any kind of, um, uh, data transformation project to try to keep information, you know, accurate. Um, just seeking to do it. Yeah, it's just seeking. So it's cruds, right? It's like this new new world of, and I think it's a great design pattern as you think about any skill that you want to create, whether that's like 
I want a skill that uh, manages a project or initiates, you know, planning a podcast like this one or any of those things that you just kind of go, okay, what would the create be? What would the read be? How would people watch the podcast? What would the update be? Like, how would we edit and make changes? And then, of course, the D is obvious. What if, you know, how long will we let it live and when do we expire it if we do? Um, so, and then, and then you add the ass on it and, and you're like, could the system go out and actually solicit ideas for a podcast, go from, from idea to, to crowdsourcing, you know, what people want to hear about, inviting the guests, scheduling it. And I know we're, this is like us teasing what's coming to, uh, of age invisible machine soon when. We have our mascot joining us soon here in a few episodes. <laughs> uh, so in terms of, of creating these digital twins, do you see the individual twins, the IDWs, and the organizational twins evolving in tandem, or, or do you need yeah. one as a bedrock for the other? I, I think the digital, they sort of, I would say the digital twin or employees um, and customers for that matter um, it has a lot of value without a, without a digital twin of the company. Um, a digital twin of your company without the IDWs has a lot less value by itself, but still has value. Um, but together they have exponential value. So it's, you know, if, if the vacuuming robot has a map of your house, that's pretty useful if, if the, but, but not that useful if it doesn't actually vacuum, right? doesn't do anything with that. Um, and so if it just was able to explore and draw a map, it's, it's pretty limited. A vacuuming without the map, still useful together, you know, that's, that's where it starts to create exponential value um so yeah i think to a lot of people digital twin of your org sounds very like out there it's really not it's really quite simple you know when you just imagine a graph if you know what that is just bubbles with lines connecting and those lines uh -huh. represent relationships and those bubbles represent you know nodes which are you know anything from a thing like a laptop to a person to a customer, um, and, and then again, where it gets interesting to an event, like um, when I say event, I don't mean, uh, you know, like a, you know, like a client offsite, although it could, but uh -huh. I mean like maybe your stock price went down, maybe your stock price went up, maybe um, you lost a customer, you gained a new customer, you won a deal, you know, you had an outage, like. Um, employee left some new employees started these these are all like events and, and you plug in the events into the the digital twin and put them on a timeline and now now it becomes super interesting because you're not talking about a place frozen in time right you're talking about something that's that's being mapped and evolving and and then something you can now forecast and predict. So you can, 
so so if, if we have the data of what's happened, we theoretically have data to start predicting what will happen. Um, and a lot of these elements already exist within companies. I mean, there are right. new pieces of technology and new things that need to come in to bind everything together and create these relationships between between all these different nodes. But a lot of these nodes are already exist. So, so the is is the work of of connecting these nodes dependent somewhat on the culture of an organization, or are there just first steps that every org has to take to to get towards digital twinness? Yeah, I think the key is this, um, the the concept that we'll probably cover deeply in another episode, which is the communication fabric. You know, oh, um, yes. the difference between a communication, just for those, the data, it's kind of built off of the idea of a data fabric versus um, a data a data grid. Um, you know, my simplistic, oh, really simplistic distinction between the two is a data grid's kind of like a street like a city and streets where in order to get from point a to point b you got to follow the street patterns and a lot of times you're going the wrong way to get to the right way so you you can't just drive through the buildings you got to navigate so you know it's going to be a longer road to get there because you got to use the streets that exist um and so you have a system that's been pre-wired for how data is connected and where it goes and how to get it. Uh, when you look at a data fabric, you're looking at more like a helicopter, right? So it's going to go from point A to point B and create new pathways, shorter pathways in a dynamic way to get to data quicker. Um, and, and so it's creating these pathways in essentially in an automated way, right? Um, and dynamic way. So if you looked at like low orbit satellites and you looked at how they operate, you would see more of a data fabric, you know, kind of idea that uh, likely those algorithms are, you know, to get from point A to point B by traversing satellites uh, as quickly as possible. So as you put new satellites up, uh, it starts to look more like a fabric where it's going to build new routes. Um, and so, uh, the, if you don't have, uh, data and you don't have conversational data specifically feeding into some sort of unifying fabric, then there's nothing for the, the S in, you know, the seeking part of the digital twin to tap into, right? So it needs to, it needs to have it's it's just like an IDW that can't talk, right? It needs to have those channels to operate on so that it has access to those conversations and the data and the systems so that it can keep that updated. So without that fabric, you end up with, again, keeping a digital twin updated in a manual way, uh, which I believe for most companies is a non-starter at this point. I, there's still a ton of value, you know, you know, and, and having it, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it actually is worth it if you had to keep it up manually. But, um, but what we find is that's just not reality in terms of how, how companies view it. It's a big task. They can, you know, they have trouble just keeping their CRM up to date, <laughs> let alone a digital twin. So I think this seek component is, is critical. And now with large language models, we see this 
not just feasible, but almost, um, almost inevitable and easy, um, to pull off. Um, yeah, to have this, this endless army of IDWs that you can turn loose seeking, doing these seek missions throughout your organization. Yeah. Seeking out data, updating the twin, um, and then getting work done and their work being put into the system. So yeah, it becomes a race to put them to work, right? It's, it's like, how many can you get working concurrently at the same time? And it's like a race, not just how many can an organization get working, but each person in it. So we look at like, you know, almost imagine this crazy idea of you, you having like a concurrency model of, of IDWs and somehow like, how many did you get concurrently working today? (laughs) (laughs) Like, were you able to delegate, moderate, verify, approve fast enough, um, it's, 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 it almost feels like at some point your whole life is hot or not, you know, that <laughs> you just swipe left, swipe right. Like, no, I don't approve. Yes, I do. And it's just all these workers coming to you saying, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that delegating is, is sort of a form of something we've talked about a lot of, of the machines are, are doing these tasks that you're delegating and it's freeing up more time yeah. for you to do things that are meaningful as a person, but you're also like delegating as part of that. And so you're helping the machines become better yeah. seekers of information yeah. as well. Yeah. We have a great demo of this. Um, it, it, what, what I really love about the digital twin component as compared to the robot analogy is that without a full map, you know, the robots, uh, far less useful. It needs a complete map to be useful, but with a company digital twin, even just knowing the skill sets and knowledge that your folks have and employees, just those two things, if that's the only two things you had in that twin, um, it's already useful. You know, who in our company knows Salesforce? Who in our company has ever implemented, you know, whatever technology or, or, who has ever worked for this company or who who's worked on this project. Um, I go back in time when um, my team was hired by national intelligence after 9-11 and um, the, it, it, you know, the, the whole national intelligence apparatus, you know, a big part of their purpose was 9-11. It was, it's, it's, it's sort of argued that the information and data was there to have stopped it. If you, if the agencies, the intelligence agencies were talking to each other. So having a, uh, national intelligence agency that that's job it is to, to kind of unify them, uh, became like a big initiative to sort of make sure it never happened again. And we were brought in to kind of design almost like a LinkedIn for intelligence, like a private network that if you're working on something and you know you can kind of find people that have or are working on similar things so you can imagine the overlap here right that if we were able to have built a digital twin of all of those national intelligence agencies on top of that um and then uh build that into the system and and 
And the only thing that was in it was skill sets, projects, and people. We've already uh, curbed 9-11. I mean, that's a, it's massive in itself, right? We would have, we, we would have solved that problem. Um, same thing with another project we did, which was, um, for, uh, a project, um, called crime pad. It's, um, it's, uh, for police departments and evidence management, forensic investigators and detectives to manage, um, evidence. So in that project, um, one of the, the, one of the folks that was on the OJ Simpson case um, had, had sort of come up with the original design and approached me and said, Hey, if we had this, he, he would have gone to jail. Um, because so much of that was about chain of custody and evidence management and the relationship between the evidence and where it was at certain times. Um, and you know, there was when you couldn't, uh, when you couldn't, you know, place a piece of evidence at a certain time, it was essentially, you know, doubt that somebody had tampered with it, right? So we created the system as a result of that. And the same idea, right? Just a simple digital twin that had evidence, people, witnesses, uh, and time, essentially, over time. Um, that in itself would have been the difference between somebody getting away with a crime like that and going to jail. So just with with, with very little what I would call like low fidelity, you know, I think of uh, low fidelity digital twin versus high fidelity digital twin. Um, low fidelity meaning not a lot of things, relationships in it. Just a low fidelity digital twin is hugely useful. So there's a great like starting point, early win to get in implementing it. Um, and then over time, you just start adding fidelity and and it just becomes more and more useful and more and more groundbreaking in terms of the capabilities of the system. Yeah, I think that's a really important point for business leaders, especially to, to keep in mind is, you know, you, you hear about this technology, you hear about like the, the outer limits of it, and it's really easy to go overwhelmed. But as you're saying, like even just having a few of those nodes connected can make huge uh, things possible within an organization and really kind of sets the stage yeah. Then for for raising the fidelity, as you put yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. And it's not to say that your office digital twin shouldn't be in it. It's just a node, right? It's like it's a part. And, and yeah, having a map is great, you know? Nothing like uh -huh. showing up to a new office that you've never been to and, you know, it directing you to your chair and then also being able to direct you to, you know, co the coffee machine. Like, that's great. But the the real digital twin value is in, is it, is it, you know, more in a, um, you know, in a way that that would just be a node and, and we're, we're really talking about the events and, and the assets and the people and the, the network, uh, that makes up what a virtual digital twin of a company actually is. But even, yeah, and even like static data, like a, an office map though, suddenly becomes richer because right. it can, it has more than one application. Yeah. I almost think of it as like the. It's that employee that's been there the longest that you were lucky enough to sit beside on your first day, right? So <laughs> yeah. you sit down and, and you're like, hey, where do I get this? And they, over there, where do I get that? Who do I talk to? They just know everything. And 
the difference is like at some point you feel like you're just asking too many questions. So you're just, you know, you're bothering them, you're interrupting them. But now, now that employee that knows the most and has been there the longest essentially has the most knowledge about the relationships of where things are is you, is your digital twin that you got assigned when you came on board. And, and so now, uh, a, you may not even be asking, where do I go? You just ask it to go, to go do it. Right. You're like, not, you know, where do I enter my time? You just say, can you enter my time? It'll just know where to enter the time. So, so now it's as if that employee that's been there from the start became your personal assistant and is just there to serve you. And then you go, and now you have an army of them that you can put to work. <laughs> it's just, yeah. What a first day, right? Like, what'd you do today? <laughs> yeah. Like, wh what are the thousand things you did today? Oh man, I did these thousand things. <laughs> yeah. We're like, okay, we'll take the rest of the week off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it creates a surge in productivity, but it also creates this new, much higher bar for mm. employee experience, I would imagine too, because an employee, even a new one, is going to have a much more robust relationship with their with their workplace and then ideally too with their coworkers. Yeah. Um kind of elevates just the the concept of what an organization yeah. or a company can be. I know you're you're fond of saying like the company, right? Like the word company itself. We go to the company right. because we want company. We want to Yeah. <laughs> we want to hang out with other people yeah. and if we're hanging out in a room yeah. full of people Com who all yeah, are like expert <laughs> delegators and like feel great because they've been doing thousands of things yeah. all day but they're having fun doing it. Yeah, let's turn company into company. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're having company over <laughs> for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um I, I yeah, I think this this digital twin concept is something we use internally. Um and you know and the 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 objective we're on is to make it as high fidelity as possible. Just the more data we can get in there. Um, and I, I love just going back in time and just looking at the relationship of certain things. Um, you know, just who was where, who was doing what, uh, what tickets were open, what were they working on at certain times? Um, it just, just even just for me, just to reflect back, you know, it's, it's amazing how much I've forgotten when I, when I kind of just look back at those relationships. So. Yeah, and so you can take you can get snapshots now too of mm -hmm. of your of your company of your yeah relationships with other people like yeah so so going from the digital twin that that's like the you know that looks more like the the intern that doesn't know anything there to help you to the digital twin that is you know the wise wisest person in the company that knows where everything is <laughs> um. <laughs> And and every relationship between things and has great wise advice for you on your first day, uh, just um, like raises the bar on what you know what a digital twin or personal assistant might look like. I think personal assistant almost sounds not lofty enough for this oracle that is your personal assistant, right? <laughs> this yeah, super wise. Um, well, yeah, it's like a personal assistant, but it's also assisting a, a greater uh, cause, I guess, in these very meaningful ways. Yeah, I like the idea that it's subservient and 
definitely serves you and I think that's important, but there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it being an oracle and super smart. No, it makes it better at serving you, I would I would think. <laughs> yeah. All right, awesome. I think we've done a, a good job unpacking digital twins and I'm <laughs> I'm reminded that in our conversation with our, our friends from MIT, we were talking a lot about like the term AI and how it's it's too broad. And I, I think it's important to take these opportunities to kind of drill down into like the specific elements of it. Um, yeah. Oh, and there's my dog barking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you, I mean, how great would it be to have a digital twin of your factory, right? And be able to rearrange things and run things and see what would happen. Pretty yeah. cool. Powerful stuff. All right, Rob. Well, uh, thank you. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up again soon. All right. All right, thanks again for joining us on Invisible Machines. As always, subscribe to UX Magazine wherever you get your podcasts to listen to new episodes. You can watch new episodes on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. We recently discovered that uh, Invisible Machines is in the top 10% of podcasts worldwide, uh, which which was awesome news to us. Uh, So thank you to all of our guests, to all of you for listening and taking part in this ongoing conversation about conversational AI. Feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Uh, Rob as well, we are both on LinkedIn. If there are things that that we're not talking about that you wanna hear about, please let us know because this is um, an ongoing communal conversation. At least that's, uh, that's what we're picturing, that's what we're trying to create. So thanks again, of course, to the team at UX Magazine and the marketing team at OneReach.ai for making this podcast possible. Michael Litvinoff, our video editor, thank you for making this podcast look and sound amazing. And we will connect with you next week on Invisible Machines. <laughs>